As we're looking at the subject of spiritual gifts, and so we're going to spend four or five weeks, uh, maybe six weeks on this, but four or five weeks on spiritual gifts from this, this chapter 12. Uh, we're going to um, hopefully, by God's grace, help you see what the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts. And so I'm going to go ahead and jump right on in. Uh, verse 1 um, says this about spiritual gifts. Um, now concerning spiritual gifts. So this is what, hey, he's saying, I want to talk about spiritual gifts. Brothers, he's talking to the, the, the church, the Christian brothers and sisters in the context of the Corinthian church. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. So here's the reality. This is where we're going to pause right here for a moment. Many Christians are just simply uninformed regarding spiritual gifts. And, and they, tend to, they tend to gravitate towards two poles. Uninformed and so much where they, that's the only thing they think about. And they maybe don't see clearly what the Bible has shown them clearly. And they, on the other end, and just like, I don't want to talk about them. I don't believe in them. They're so far from reality. And then in both camps are, are, are not the camps where we want, to, we want to be in. We want to look at the scriptures. What does the Bible teach about them? Here's the reality. If you are a Christian, meaning you know, love, and trust Jesus, uh, and you, you, you've put your faith in Jesus, and he has saved you, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit. You have him. And some of you are like, well, I didn't feel different, but... I believe in him. I believe in God. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll spend a lot of time talking about that here in a moment. But additionally, if you're a Christian, that means you have gifts that God has given you. The Holy Spirit has given you gifts. Some of you have multiple gifts of the Spirit. Some of you have one gift of the Spirit. But we're going to talk about them, like I said, over the next few weeks, about what the different gifts are. We're only going to get to two of them today, so we're not going to uh, get to them all. So the most of this sermon is going to be an overview of like how we should think about spiritual gifts. And that's what he says. I don't want you to be uninformed. So today I want to inform you that they, one, exist. Some of you, maybe you're like, I'm a Christian, but I didn't know I had spiritual gifts. Yeah, you're uninformed. You need to figure out that they they exist and that you have them. Um, Some of you uh, just have been led with false teaching about them and don't really understand how to use them or you've seen them used improperly. So you're like, I don't want to go anywhere near those things. Um, And so this is the, the, the idea we see in culture is, is oftentimes we take experiences. You look at the culture around you. They, everyone says, my experience is my reality. My experience is my reality. And if my experience says this, then you can't tell me otherwise. I don't, here's what I want you to see. Your experiences are valid, but God's word trumps your experience. Like your experiences are real. But your, God's word trumps your experience. And so what we want to do is interpret your experience, perhaps, with spiritual gifts, whether you're like pro or like, you know, you know I'm a little anxious about them. No matter where you're at, I want to, to interpret them through the lens of the scriptures. Well, that's what we always do. And so many folks are just scared simply because uh, they, they've seen differing opinions and they don't really know how to, to process and make that clear. So hopefully we'll do that throughout the series. Additionally, when it comes to spiritual gifts, many people uh, who rely heavily on emotional experiences uh, tend to uh, overemphasize maybe the supernatural gifts. And then some of you are just like, well, those seem fake. And then some of you have seen them and you're like, no, I did that and that was fake. And so now you're, now you're a proponent. You assume that everyone has faked it just because you did. And we need to clear all that up and see what does the bible say that's where we're headed okay that's what i want us to be informed on what do the scriptures say about spiritual gifts additionally i need to i need to 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 state this there's three there's typically three different teams on this all christian i'll argue that there are all christian but three different teams and i'm going to oversimplify every position so that i can offend all of you uh, so no matter what position you hold, I will oversimplify this right now. There's three teams, cessationist team. This is cessationism, which means spiritual gifts, or uh, I'm going to uh, oversimplify saying that the gifts have ceased. That's what the word means. So that's what uh, cessationism position says, that, um, that the spiritual gifts have ceased. Now, not all cessationists would agree with that point, and that's fine. Uh, continuationism, that is uh, another team. Those are, this team says the spiritual gifts continue, hence the name, continuationism. Um, now, there may be some caveats, but I'm not going to clarify those at the moment. I will say this, though, that this is the position of uh, the elders at the well. All three of us uh, hold this position. I think you can hold some of these positions and, and still be in unity. But here's the reality. Um, we, we hold this position, so we believe the spiritual gifts still continue to this day. You're going to see over the next several weeks what that means according to the scriptures. So some of you are like, oh, I can't wait. Bring some popcorn. See what this guy says when he gets the tongues because I'm really worried about it. And so uh, 
That, that leads to the third category, and I'm, is Pentecostalism. And I'm using this term being historic Pentecostalism, not just your neighbor down the street who goes to Pentecostal church who doesn't, you know, know anything about spiritual gifts. Uh, what I'm saying is that uh, there's a historical movement of the, the Pentecostalism that typically says there's salvation, and then after salvation, there's an imparting of the Holy Spirit, which usually is marked by tongues. So those are three different camps when you looked at spiritual gifts. So if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, you're going, uh, what, what are these guys about to say about tongues? If you had a positive experience, you're like, I can't wait to hear them. And if you had a negative experience, you're like, I hope that this guy doesn't bring up the interpreter. And so uh, we're all, and if you're a cessationist, you really got scared that I even mentioned it because you're like, I now don't know what this church is. Maybe I need to reconsider this. Like that's how people get when it comes to spiritual gifts. Everyone gets on edge about what What's going to be said? And if you're a new Christian, you're like, why? Thanks. Thank you for being here. I don't know why Christians get all out of, out of, out of whack when it comes to this, but they do. And, I, and it is why, the reason why is because we, t- we take our experiences and we dump them on God's word and say, and instead of saying, hey, let me interpret my experience through the lens of God's word and maybe reconsider what happened in the past and rechart our new path forward in submission to Jesus and his word. And that's what we do here at the well. And hopefully we do a good job of it, but either way, we try. That's our goal. So we want to be submission, submitted to Jesus' word. We're not perfect but that's where we're at. And so this whole thing starts with this idea is that we want to inf- be informed about what God's word says about spiritual gifts. So the first thing we need to see in, in regard to being informed by it is we need to figure out who the Holy Spirit is. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, uh, you will, you'll probably be, be, be led to think like the first thing you think of Holy Spirit, you're thinking of tongues. Um, but I want us to see uh, the Apostle Paul spoke in tongues, and that's not where he starts. He starts this way. He starts, he starts in verse 2, and he says this. He wants them to know about the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit saves sinners. That's what he wants them to see. This is the first thing. You know that when you were pagans, meaning you were not Christians. He's looking at the church going, you were not Christian at one point. You were pagan. You went to sacrifice idols. He says, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. So you got saved. The first thing you need to see is the Holy Spirit saves sinners. You go from being a pagan to a Christian. He goes, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one says Jesus is Lord except for in the Holy Spirit. So they're confused here, these Corinthian Christians, because they've grown up in a pagan world. They've seen crazy pagan things, and they're going, they're, they're seeing things in the church, and we're like, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Like, what is this? I was a mystic and involved in spirituality, and now, like, we're talking about spirit, and like, what is this? Is this the same? He's like, no, 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 they're not the same. They're, 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 see, here's what we need to see in our context. There are spiritual people, but not everything that's spiritual is the Holy Spirit. How do you discern that? He says this, anyone who says Jesus is accursed is not led by the Holy Spirit. What he means by this is if you don't trust Jesus for the salvation of your sins and trust in him alone, you're led by a different spirit, not the Holy One. Meaning this, that if you say Jesus plus anything equals salvation, demonic spirit. Demonic spirit. No Jesus plus spirituality equals demonic spirit. Anything other than Jesus Christ alone for salvation of sinners equals demonic. Now, some of you, you hear demonic, you're like, that's harsh, Pastor. We need to see this. The scriptures are clear that, that there is paranormal and, and, and uh, scary type of demonic activity. It's also very clear that there's everyday normal demonic activity that looks like Satan disguising himself as an angel of light. That's what the scriptures teach us. And so just because someone is spiritual doesn't make them Christian. Spirituality, apart from the the salvation of Jesus Christ, is a demonic counterfeit. So if you find yourself, you're like, I'm a spiritual person, but like, you know, I got Jesus and I got Buddha and I got all these other things. You're led by the wrong spirit. You're led by a demonic spirit. You need to trust in Jesus and God God and receive the Holy Spirit and have no other spirits. And so here... Spiritual people, they, he says that they reject Jesus. They, 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 they say he's a curse or, or they, they, they've, they've distanced themselves from the salvific work of Jesus Christ in their place for their sins. These are the type of people who come to God's word. They're like spiritual. They call themselves Christians and they go to God's word. And they go, oh, I don't really like that 
the way the verse says that. Oh, I'm not really going to submit to that. Oh, we're going to edit that. Culture says another thing. Uh, times have changed, so we're going to change God's words. Demonic spirit. If you edit God's word and not submit to God's word, you're being led not by the Holy Spirit, but another spirit. And so Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's not always these scary demonic activities and manifestations. It can look like just a normal, everyday, peaceful, spiritual spirituality that rejects Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for sinners. And he, and he says it's not just information. He's not, it's not just about information that Jesus is Lord. It's this, this reality that, that we must submit. When he says Jesus is Lord, he's talking about submitting to the Lordship of Christ. This is not just, see, Satan and demons believe in Jesus. They do. It says, the scripture says that the demons believe in him and they shudder. They're scared. They hear, they know, I know Jesus. They know him, but they tremble. See, you can be just, you can have just as much faith as a demon and still be cut off from the presence of God. Believe that he exists, but then don't submit yourself to his lordship. You don't obey him. You don't give him your allegiance. So this is what he's saying. No one can truly believe that Jesus is Lord and submit to his lordship without the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's telling the Corinthians. And some of you are like, man, I get this. I was not a Christian when I first started showing up to the well. I heard these sermons. I did not believe in the sermons. I did not believe in the Jesus. Then all of a sudden, one day, like I believed. And like, God, the Holy Spirit did something. I believed. I used to not believe. Now I believe. It wasn't hell. It was something else. And, it's, and that's 100% right. It's not me. It's not someone else. It's not someone sharing uh, the gospel that causes you to be saved. God, the Holy Spirit, uses those people, uses the, the, the word of God to bring about salvation. See, God, the Holy Spirit, flies in tandem with the word of God. When the word of God is proclaimed and the gospel is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit works to empower that message to open the blind eyes of our hearts so that we could see, to soften the, the hard hearts that may have life. Do what we just heard in the, in the child dedications that we're praying for these children, that God would put his spirit in them, take away their heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh so that they, by the spirit of God and power of God, would walk upright in, according to his word, will, and ways. That's what God, the Holy Spirit, does. Us. Salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. He opens our eyes that we would believe and trust in Him. Now, not everyone in every service is a Christian. I don't know everyone in here. And so from time to time, we have people uh, often, we're about to baptize eight people this next week. We've seen people come to faith in Jesus over the past few months here. And so I don't know, I don't know who all in here is a Christian or if you are or if you're not. But here's what I want you to know. This is how you can be saved. This is where it starts. We see the work of the Holy Spirit brings about salvation. And, and, and the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 9 through 13, explains ex explicitly how to be saved. But you'll also see that he's saying the exact same thing that he was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says it this way, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, meaning made right with God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You need your shame removed. You need Jesus. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Meaning any person, no matter your background, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter what you used to dabble in and where you find yourself now, anyone can be saved, Jew or Greek. All, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How are you saved? You call on the name of the Lord. Some of you are Christians because you call, well, all of you who are Christians have called upon the name of the Lord and therefore have been saved. And so how does this work? He says it here in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth. That Jesus is Lord. What you say, but when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're not just simply affirming that Jesus is the King. You're saying that I am not the King. You're admitting that you were wrong and that He is right. You're admitting you're guilty and that He is the Savior. I, you're admitting that you are a sinner and Jesus is your only hope for salvation, only hope for cleansing, only hope for forgiveness. And this is indeed who Jesus is. Confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord is an act of surrender, saying, I'm going to pledge allegiance to a new king. 
I'm going to get a new heart. I'm going to get a new mind. I want to get a new life. I want to be born again by the Spirit of the living God. And if you, if you can say that, and he says not just with your mouth, but with your heart, to believe at a heart level. Not, so your heart agrees with your words. If your heart agrees with those words that Jesus is Lord, meaning Jesus is your Lord, meaning that when you look at the cross of Christ, you see the crucified Jesus. You see that he died in your place for your sins. And he was killed, buried, and on the third day rose victoriously, conquering sin, Satan, your sin, Satan, death, and the grave. And you look at that and you go, no, I believe that. That's my Savior. Then that's done by the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, God, the Holy Spirit, has opened your eyes to believe that. The only way you could do that. And some of you get that because you're like, I heard this every Sunday and rejected it. And some of you are hearing this and going, I'm starting to believe. What does that mean? God, the Holy Spirit, is working. Some of you are like, I believe that, but I don't know when I started believing that. So oftentimes for Christians, you, you, you want to see an experience. Like, where did my heart totally change? Sometimes it happens for some. Sometimes you're like, all of a sudden you're like, I 100% believe what that guy's saying. I believe this. He, he is my Lord. I, I, I want to follow him. I want to obey him. No, there, there's no other Savior. He is God. I, I, for sure, I want that. If that's you, the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes. He may have done it a while back, and you're just now getting to the point where you're going, oh, wait, I'm saved. Like, I, I'm changed. See, it doesn't have to be this crazy experience. For some people, it is. For some, it's just a, over time, the, your, your eyes of your heart start to gain sight, and you're going, I believe that. I agree with that. I trust in that. And see, if, if that's you, maybe, maybe God is saving you now. You're saying, no, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I, I, I've confessed I'm guilty. I need a Savior. I surrender. I, no, I, I'm surrendering. And, and I'm putting my hope, and, and I believe it's at a heart level that, that Jesus rose from the dead for me. That's salvation, folks. We oftentimes make it so complicated. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has died in the, the place for your sins? When you look at the cross of Christ, you see your sin, your Savior. If you do, that's only done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you need to submit to God, in the, God the Holy Spirit, and walk in His word, will, and ways. The Holy Spirit wrote the book, and He empowers the Christian life. So this is what we see next, is that all of us who know, love, and trust Jesus have once called on the name of the Lord and are saved. And he wants the Corinthians to know if you're saved, then, then guess what? You get, you get gifts. He comes bearing gifts, the Holy Spirit. We see that next. He says this in, in verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts. There's multiple gifts. So what you got to understand, multiple gifts. Churches that have like only emphasized, it's weird to me. I, I love churches and don't like knocking churches. But it's weird to me that there'd be a high concentration of only one gift. Here's why. Have you ever seen a team that only had, a football team have only quarterbacks? That would be really weird. Why? They could throw the ball, but no one could catch it. <laughs> no one could stop the guy from getting tackled because, you know, they can't really block very well. Like, quarterbacks are known for not trying to get hit. Like, right, that, that's the thing. That would be really bad. Or a bunch of offensive linemen who are like, all right, well, we can block. We can even tackle. But, like, we can't throw the ball or catch the ball. There may be a couple athletic ones, you know, but like you're just, you build a team not around one gifting. Many gifts make up one team, a variety of gifts. That's what Paul's saying is that we're a team, we're a family. God, the Holy Spirit has given the church a variety of gifts, but they came from what? The same spirit, one spirit. They're a variety of service. So there's a lot of stuff to do with these gifts. Not just one way to use them, a lot of ways to use them. But at the same Lord, variety of activity, a lot of stuff to get done, but the same God empowers them in uh, everyone. So there's a lot of stuff to get done, a lot of work to do. The church has a mission. Jesus is the king. He is the Lord. We're headed out following him, going to obey him with our entire lives. The church is going to organize themselves. And he's like, I got to give you some gifts so that you can do the mission. Do the mission. And you all got to have different ones or it's going to be a lopsided team. Real unproductive, real strange. And so I'm going to give you a variety of gifts. This Corinthian church was maybe 40 to 80 people. They were just starting to grow. He's like, I'll give you a variety of gifts. We're going to find out later they're all fighting over different gifts. Everyone wants this guy's gift. Everyone wants that girl's gifts. They all want, they all want each other's gifts. They were despising their gifts. And I see this in the church. Many people, well, they want the, especially any young guy. Any young guy gets saved, he's like, I want to be a preacher. 
I'm not against that. I won't preach. I won't. But like, that's what everyone, that's the first gift everyone wants. Why? Because it's the only gift they see primarily. I'm not knocking the gift. I'm not knocking the position. What I'm saying is there's a lot of other gifts. There's gifts of hospitality, service, or even faith. I think about someone has the gift of faith. I mean, you might have the best gift in the church, and it's not seen, but you have the faith to really help people believe God's word. And you're like, no, 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 I really believe this. So like in, 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 when Jesus says uh, that, you know, if you have faith, uh, and and, you, and you, you don't worry about tomorrow, and you don't worry about what's happening the next day, but seek first the kingdom and its righteousness in Matthew 6, 33, and all these things will be given to you. He's like, no, like, I, I really believe that, and so I'm going to obey that and do that, and like, you, you, you just have great faith that God's going to do what he says, and so you can encourage a brother or sister who's struggling in faith. How many of you struggle in faith? You're like, I wish someone would come alongside and help me. And you're like, you, the pastor's not helping me. Maybe not. Because someone else in here in the church has the gift of faith or something that can come alongside and, and it's what you need. And we need those gifts ex- experienced and, and, and used and, and, and distributed among the congregation for the blessing of one another. Don't despise the gift that God has given you. So over the course of this time, over the next few weeks as we study these, don't, if you, you see like, that's my gift, I see it. Don't despise it. Because you might have the gift of, say, hospitality or service. And, or, or, and you're like, well, that, that, I don't like that gift. I want the other guy's gift. It seems more fun. That guy with the tongues seems way, like he's having way more fun. Not as fun as the guy who's interpreting him, but he, that guy looks like he's having fun. And like, my gifts are not that fun. Listen, your gifts reflect Jesus. Dang right, they're fun. Like, you can't. Our gifts are, 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 are making much of Jesus, not one another. And that's actually where, what we have to understand next. What's the purpose of the gifts? The, the, the perfect purpose of the spiritual gifts are not to elevate your platform, but to point to, to Jesus, to serve others, to continue his mission. Spiritual gifts are to, are to serve others. Verse 7, each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why are they given? This, the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit for the common good, for blessing. Every Christian has at least one gift, and that gift is not to be hidden. It's to be used to bless others. And so I, I need us to be careful to think about our pre-Christian talents. If you guys saved at a young age, this may be incredibly hard for you to discern. That's okay. But if you became a Christian as an adult, and you know, I had pre-Christian talents, I had a pre-Christian job, pre-Christian degree, and then I got saved, I want you to know you, your spiritual gifts may not be the same as your, your, what you grew up doing. Like you may get brand new gifts, or your gifts might complement your personality. They might be totally different. It, it's, it's God who gets to decide that. We're gonna, and, and it says that he gives the gifts according to his will, is what it says. That's what it said back in, 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 in verse 11. It says, is, I'm gonna, you don't have to switch the slides, but I'm going to pop back and say it. All these are empowered by the same Spirit who apportions each one as he wills. The God, the Holy Spirit, gives different gifts as he wills. And it may be different than your personality traits. They may complement them. They may be totally different. But I need us to see spiritual gifts are given to us by God for the benefit and blessing of others. Just like we talked about last week for fruitfulness is. Fruit is to be enjoyed. It's for others to enjoy. Our gifts are being given to us by God to serve the church. To serve the church. When we get these things mixed up, we start desiring other people's gifts or, 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 or despising our gifts. And, and we need to enjoy, love, and use the gifts that God has given us. Additionally, we need to cultivate these gifts that we've been given because they're for the common good. And so if, if, you, if you know your spiritual gift and you don't have a servant heart of love like Jesus, you're going to find out in chapter 13, you're just annoying. Like you are. Have you ever met someone who's like really good at something, but they don't love very well and they're not really, they don't have godly character? You're like, man, you're really good at that, but no one wants to be around you and we don't want to follow you and you're kind of annoying. You might be productive, but... I don't like you. Like, why? It's because, we're going to find out later, that gift has not been matured. It's not, it's not undergirded by the love of Christ. He says it specifically. You're like a you're like annoying gong or clanging cymbal. You're like when kids get pots and pans in the kitchen and just bang around. Like, that's you. That's what he says. When you have the gifts of God, but you don't steward them according to God's word, 
or you don't, or they haven't been matured, uh, they, they become kind of annoying and, and sometimes useless. That's what he says later. And so I like to give the example of a fire. I love to make fire. I love fires, but I don't. I want my fire to stay in either the fire pit um, or the grill. Like I don't, or I don't want it to be in the front yard. Like the front yard, cre- you know, will level the house. Fire pit, we can cook some meat, right? Like that's what we're gonna do. And so, uh, or if you have a fireplace in your house, it keeps your keeps your room warm. I know we don't need that right now, but imagine we did. Uh, but if you put a fire in your living room, what does it do? It burns your house down. See, fires are great when used in the right context. Spiritual gifts are the same way. They're, they're, they're great. They're, they're useful, but they, there's a right place, a context, order, and structure that these gifts need to be used for the, the blessing rather than the, minute, uh, the misery and ruin. So these gifts got to be cultivated. They also need to be submitted to church wisdom, church leadership so that they can be cultivated for the common good. So, so when you see your gift, the, your, your result shouldn't be like, I got this gift, I'm going to go take the mantle here. Well, the, these gifts, you might need to cultivate these things. They might need to take time, because if you don't, they could, ruin, and, and they could ruin you, and it might lead to misery. We're going to see that later with, well, I'm going to reference a guy named King Uzziah that was, uh, had, had a great spiritual gift, started his ministry great, and then it ended very poorly. Just because you have the Holy Spirit, just because you have a gift from the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean that, that you're, you're exempt from ruining your life. Men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, using the gifts of the Holy Spirit, shipwreck and ruin their life and ministry all the time. They're, gonna, they're in heaven, they're Christians, that's awesome. We're, not ta- we're talking about how do you steward these gifts, not for you, but for the glory of God, the benefit blessing of the church. So we're talking about two gifts. I'm three minutes faster than I was at the last service here, so we've got three extra minutes. And so these two minutes, these two, these two gifts we're going to look at today are the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge. The gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge. We'll get into other gifts in the coming weeks, but the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge. Verse 8 says, for one is given through the Spirit, uh, the utterance, the utterance literally means logos, it means word, uh, it, it, the, the word of wisdom, and another, the utterance or word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So we have two gifts that we're going to talk about today, the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge. We'll start with wisdom. The wisdom is the ability to have insight into people, situations that is not obvious to the average person, uh, combined with the understanding of what to do with that information. See, this is a big deal. Uh, wisdom takes is, is kind of like knowledge in the sense that it has information, but it knows what to do with it. So I'm going to talk about knowledge later, but wisdom is, is the ability to have insight into people or circumstances or situations that may not be obvious to the, the everyday person. If you're like, I don't know what that is, that sounds fake, no one could do that, then you don't have the gift probably. That, that's usually how it works. And some of you are like, yeah, no, I don't know how everyone doesn't see that. You might have the gift. This is what typically happens when God and the Holy Spirit gifts you with something. You're like, everyone should be seeing this. Why don't they? Because well, they don't have the gift. You do. And, and if you're like, man, nah, no one can do that, then you may not have the gift. Like that's just part, part ways of how we can discern these things. And so this person is like things that are not obvious to the average person they can see. And then they have a plan, they can create a plan, a plan of wisdom according to God's word. They have the ability to not only see what's going on, but to apply the principles of God's word, especially the practical matters of life. Later in Ephesians chapter one, we see this called the spirit of wisdom. In short, this gift is, is being able to sort through things like facts, data, perhaps even to discover what needs uh, are, are, what the needs are and what needs to be done for the church. They, can, they, can, they, they, they get information, but they get application. They can take information and apply it. So these are the type of people who, who, they're not the checklist people. I need you to see this. These are the people that the checklist people need to go to. If you're a checklist person and, 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 you, and you know and you, and you have wisdom, then, then you make the plan and your own checklist. You're both. But some of you guys are just like, I know what to do, but someone's got to tell me a good plan to do it. If you're the guy who's like, I need, uh, I, I'm good at checklists, but I don't know exactly what to do, well, who do you need? You need a wisdom person. You need someone with the gift of wisdom to help you see what to do. If you have the gift of wisdom, you're intensely practical. You're at community group. Someone says, hey, what we see here in God's word, it says this, this, this. Um, and everyone's going, man, how do we apply this? And you're like, what do you mean? It's real simple. Boom, boom, boom. You got three-step application process. You have PowerPoint. You're ready to go. And they're like, 
let's just think about this. And you're like, this community group is not for me. I'm just driving me. Everyone wants to talk about it. They want to philosophize about it. They want to pray about it. They want to do all these things at the group. And man, I just want them to do what it says. And here's what we need to do. You have the gift of wisdom. And you don't need to lead that group. You need to speak up in that group. You need to speak up. You need to be humble. You need to not be arrogant. This is how you use that gift wrongly and be, be, be proud. But, but God has given you wisdom to know how to apply his word in an, an intensely practical way to help others. It's not just for you. And so here's the problem is that you have the gift, so you probably think other people's do, people do too. And you're like, why don't they see what I see? They need to see this and help them see it. It's the, the gift has been given to you for the common good, the flourishing, the benefit of others. And if you have this gift and you're not connected into the, the, the ministry of the church, into the community life of the church, man, you're robbing the church of your giftedness if this is you. And so this wisdom is the ability to take the principles from God's word and apply them to everyday life. So you're thinking, someone's like, man, I'm struggling with, with money. I'm struggling with sex. I'm struggling with friendship. I'm struggling in, 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 with, all, with marriage and kids. I'm struggling in all these areas. And then and they, they, they get to the God's word and say, this is what it says, but how do I live it out? The guy with wisdom is like, bro, let's do this. I love you, man. This is how, this is how I, 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 I can build, we can build a plan for you to walk it out. They're intensely practical. See, every Christian needs wisdom. Every Christian needs wisdom. And we're told in James 1.5 that, that if we ask for wisdom, God gives it without finding fault. You need wisdom, James 1 says to ask it. And so one of the ways God grants wisdom is sometimes he gives you, you the wisdom in that moment, for that season, for that time, for that circumstance, for that thing, to navigate the thing you're going through. And God gives you wisdom. He says he'll give it without finding fault. So, so that word is true. But sometimes God grants the answer to that prayer by putting a guy who's got wisdom, the gift of wisdom, in your community group. And like, well, I don't, I skip community group because I'm tired. Well, you might have skipped out on the I'm not, I'm just saying that this is a real reality that we, we sometimes think we're playing dress-up church. Like, I, oh, I'm going to check the box for my Christian service, come to church. I served on Sunday. I go to community group. Oh, do I really need to do this? It wasn't practical last week. And we, we negotiate like we're, we're psychos, and, and we, we don't realize we're people on a mission that Jesus sent us. We're a team that's got to take the field. We're not at practice anymore. We're in the game. Our lives depend on it. Souls depend on it. And we're not sitting around at practice. You're on the field. And God, the Holy Spirit, has equipped you. He's blessed you. He's filled you. And he wants to use you to bless others. And we look around at our groups and our life, and we're just like, this is just, eh, let's negotiate with, should we do it, should we not? What's my life look like? What's my schedule? Blah, 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 blah. Are you on mission? Do you see yourself as a king's kid sent out on purpose who the world needs to hear your words, needs your gifts, the church needs your gifts? If we don't do this, the city doesn't come to know Jesus. Do you see that? If you don't, you'll despise your gifts. Or you'll have gifts. You'll just be arrogant and proud and annoying. But a Christian, just a Christian, there's a lot of those out there. There's a lot of unhelpful, annoying Christians. And they're on our team, and they're my brother, and I'll say that to their face, and they're saved. But they're on the bench when they need to be on the field. Like, how many men are supposed to be on the field? More. More. Jesus says the harvest is what? Plentiful, but the laborers are what? Few. He doesn't say, nah, we need, to, we need to sit some of these guys on the bench. Get them out there on the field. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would grant you more workers. What the heck? We're praying for that to do what? Use your gifts to serve the church. None of that was in the sermon, in the notes. That was free. We're going to keep going. Sometimes the, this, the gift of wisdom is knowing when to say something and when not to say something and how to apply it. I was talking to someone this week, and they were, they, they were, they were this, this, it's a situation where this, this young man uh, is, wa- is wondering, and he's, he has a family, and he's, 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 he's not at a church in another city, uh, um, another state. He's like, should I lead? I need, I'm worried, I, how do I lead? Uh, everyone keeps telling me I need to step up and lead as a man, as a husband, as a, as a father. How do I lead? And uh, 
this individual is, is, is listening to him and, and going, man, man, everyone keeps telling me I need to step up and lead. That's the godly thing to do, to step up and lead. And I'm listening to this going, like, did you tell him yes? And he said, what, what did you say to him? And I said, well, I know he needs to do that. But what I said was, hey, why don't we look at God's word and let's read it. And, you, and let's do what God says to do. And the guy was like, dude, that's exactly right. And I was like, that's wisdom. I would have told the dude, dude, you're the leader. Get out there. You're the leader. I'm going to tell you what to do. My gift is like telling what to do. Like, that's it. And I'm like, I need this in my life. That was so encouraging to me. I was like, that's really good. That's wisdom right there. That's spirit wisdom. Yeah, let's, I know the answer. You do need to lead. But let's see what God says. God says you should lead. Let me help you do that. Boom. Man, I was like, that was good. That was good. And so we need wisdom. We need godly men and women in our lives to give us wisdom. We see this with King Uzziah. He got wisdom. He's a guy in the Old Testament. He was a king. He got wisdom. He feared the Lord. That's what we're told, that he, he, he sought to fear the Lord. And when he did, everything he did prospered. But at the end of his life, he stopped doing what God says and, and ruined his life in ministry. And see, we need God, the Holy Spirit, to bless us, to fill us, to grant us with wisdom. But then we need to continue to walk in wisdom according to God's word, will, and ways. That's why we got to be in the context of community. So we start acting like Uzziah. The crazy thing about Uzziah is he had men step up and say, repent, don't do that. He said, nah, power, I have more power than you. I'm going to do it anyway. And then he doesn't have more power than God. Then God struck him with leprosy. He, he, he cursed him. And so some of us need to, to use our gifts. Some of us need to submit to, to, to the church council so that we can cultivate our gifts and continue to walk in line with God's word, will, and ways and not step outside the bounds of scripture in exercising our authority and using our gifts. Now, some of you have the, have the gift of wisdom and you're in a community group and you feel that you're too young to share anything. You're like, well, I don't have as much life experience as everyone else in my group. And you're like, man, how do I speak into this? I, I, just, I just feel like I, I can't speak into this because everyone in my group is further along than me. Well, here's, here, it's oftentimes I hear this, a lot of single guys or a lot of people who don't have a lot of, maybe they don't have multiple kids. They're like, how do I speak into this when I don't have kids? How do I speak to this when I'm not married? Here's how, guess what? Jesus and the Apostle Paul, who both write on the context of marriage, both non-married men. How can they speak with authority on the issue? Because they got wisdom from God. They got the word of God. They stand on the authority of God. Some of you young guys, young girls, like you're, you're, you've been given the spirit of wisdom. And so, so God is bringing you insight and you, you need to speak into certain situations, maybe to people who are older than you. You have wisdom and you have help for them. And if they don't want to listen to it, that's fine. They don't want to listen to the Holy Spirit then. Like if you have the gift, use it. Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. But set an example in faith, knowledge, uh, in, in purity. Like, be an example to them. I'm not saying that in every situation this applies, but I'm saying some of you perhaps have this fear of leaning into your God-given gifting to encourage and bless those in the church because you're afraid that your life experience doesn't qualify you. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit's the one qualifies you. God's word is the one that you, st what you stand on. If you're giving the wisdom of God's word to encourage and gift and bless God's people, be bold. If they don't like it, they can find another church. Like, that's just how it's going to go. Now, if you're arrogant, you need to repent. You're rude, you need to repent. But what I'm saying is if we start despising, we don't use our gifts, we ain't going to get anywhere. So if you ever looked at a team, you're like, that guy won't play. All right, we'll move on without him. Pick a new guy. Like, that's what it is in the church. And so if, if, if some of you, if you have the gift, if you're wondering about it, man, talk to some of the elders. We want to help cultivate that. And so I'm going to leave us with three things in regards to help cultivating this gift, particularly the gift of wisdom. Study the Proverbs. That's the first thing I want to say. Study the Proverbs. If you think you have this gift, study the Proverbs. You'll learn what not to do, when to speak up, when to shut up. You'll learn, you'll learn how to not be annoying in your community group. Read the Proverbs. That's how, if this is you. Additionally, read, study guys like Solomon who wrote the Proverbs. He wrote a book of Ecclesiastes, and he tells the story about what all not to do. That's a great book to read. You want to know what not to do, not what to say? Read, read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. 
Additionally, study the guy uh, in the scripture named Joshua. What I mean by this is study, read about him in the scriptures. Don't go buy a book about Joshua to read about someone else talking about Joshua. Go to, go to a book you know, of the Bible. Find it, like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and this book called Joshua. It's real clear. That's his name. He wrote it. Read about him. Read about his story. You can read about him in Exodus as well. Another guy who has a book written about him and his name is titled in it, Daniel. Read about Daniel, how to use God's wisdom, God's wisdom in Babylon in a culture that's pressing you on both sides, a non-Christian, demonic culture. How do you exercise walking God's wisdom? Read about Daniel. Guys like Joseph, guys like Uzziah. Look at their, 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 their mistakes, their failures, their successes. Humbly cultivate the gift of wisdom. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you as you read God's Word. He wrote God's Word, and He will help you apply God's Word. Next, I want you to humbly help others. How do you cultivate your gift? you got to start using it. Help others apply God's Word. When you're in a group saying, hey, let me, let, this, is what, this is how I think we can apply it. This is how we can, we can take steps forward. Here's our plan. Uh, God loves you. He wants us to know this. Here, 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 here. Use that. And, and third, apply God's word, God's truth practically in ways that help, that help counsel others to make good choices. So sometimes it's about making a, a plan to get them out of a circumstance, but maybe you're, you're helping God's people learn God's word so they just stop doing bad, making bad choices. Now, here's some wisdom here. So we need this gift. The next gift is, is a good combo, but it's the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge and the gift of wisdom, when they're working well together, there's a lot of production going on. So if you're a knowledge person, find a wisdom person. If you're a wisdom person, find some knowledge, uh, find a knowledge guy, and then you'll get together and, and work on information and application. Information is knowledge. Application is wisdom. So we got information, the gift of knowledge. This is the ability to do things like research, remember. It's not, so it's not just the research work, but like remembering what you research and make, it effect, and make effective use of a variety of information on a number of diverse subjects and the ability to uh, bring spiritual insight to bear in a timely, helpful fashion spe- in a specific Christian context. So this, again, it's, these gifts are used for the church. Not that you can't have knowledge and wisdom outside the church, but he's talking about specific spirit-filled wisdom and knowledge for the church. I want you to see, this is not, the gift of knowledge doesn't mean you're an information hoarder. This is a person who, who studies God's word in order to bring it to bear in a timely fashion. So they may look like a, a nerd, and I, they may be nerdy, 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 and they're just books, books, books everywhere, study, 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 you know, their library, 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 like that's them. And you may be, I don't know how to relate to that person. They're reading footnotes and, in, you know, the, 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 their favorite book is nonfiction. Like, that is a weird guy. I don't know how to relate to them. I'm that guy, and I love you. We love you. Guys, there's a place for all of God's children. And so uh, this might be you, and you're, like, reading a lot. But here's the point. This, this, this may be where you start. You're researching. You're, you're doing all this work. This is how I know that God, the Holy Spirit, has given me this gift. I'm dyslexic. Before uh, God called me into ministry, this was not like my, you know, life dream was to sit up in front of everybody and read every day. Like in, in, in high school, I would literally, in, in junior high and high school, like when they would call upon you to read in class, they're like, hey, we're going to, every, every 10 people, you're going to read, and you read three sentences. So I would, I would go back and I would count how many people down. I'm like, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. Where am I at? And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm 13 rows down. I'll start on that one, um, and I read these three. Okay, I would memorize those before I spoke them publicly because I was so afraid of messing up because I couldn't read publicly. I was struggled to read, and I'm like in high school anxious, sweating, and I would just memorize these things just so that I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be made fun of because I, I was at one point. And now I'm preaching every week, reading. I have books everywhere in my house. I read all the time, and, and I have a degree in English. That's crazy. And there's no glory to me because I didn't think any of this was cool or fun, but God the Holy Spirit changed me, gave me some gifts, and I just started using them. And so what I want us to see here is that if you have the gift of knowledge, one, don't despise it. Like I, uh, and, and if you find yourselves maybe like, you know, man, I, I like these things, but I'm struggling here, maybe academically. I mean, don't just keep going. Who knows what God will do with that? Don't give up there. 
But I want to give a word of warning to those nerds like me who are just sitting there studying all the time, reading the books, got the footnotes, can, can quote, the, quote the, the, the dead guys, and, and, you, and you love doing that. If that's you, then here's a strong warning, warning not really from me, it's from Jesus. He says this in, in John 5, 36. He says, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you diligently search the scriptures, thinking that in them you'll find eternal life. Sorry, you diligently study the scriptures, thinking that in them you'll find eternal life, but you fail to recognize that the scriptures testify about me. If you're, you're the knowledge person, your information, study, you, you want to know more, you're, you, you became a Christian, and you just started analyzing everything, reading it all, you just want to know more about God, his word, and you're just hungry for it. You might have the gift of knowledge, but here's the deal. You, you, here's my practical advice for us, is that as you read the Old Testament, the New Testament, anywhere in the scriptures, figure out how it pertains to helping other people love Jesus. That's the key to unlocking it. You can talk about why that psalm is uh, uh, written in this verse form, and, and you have the history of all of these people, and know all this information, and can quote a bunch of dead guys. That's awesome. Use that to help other people love Jesus. Jesus. That's your objective with the gift. Don't be like the Pharisees who had all this information but couldn't see Jesus living in front of them and worship him and love him and then help others love him and worship him. Your goal is to care about pointing people to Jesus with your knowledge, helping other people be like Jesus with your gift of knowledge. That's the point of the gift of knowledge is helping other people come to a greater knowledge and understanding about Jesus. So you may have a timely word where you give to someone to encourage them. But the point is, you want to be used by the Spirit of God, who wrote the Word of God, to wield the sword of God, in order for the, for the blessing of God's people. And so three ways, as we come to a close, of ways that you can use your gifts to cultivate, uh, or how you can cultivate this gift of knowledge. Number one, study Guys in the Bible like Ezra and Timothy. Ezra has a book, his, his name is, is Ezra, and then the book's name called Ezra. It's in the Old Testament. Also, there's a book right after that called Nehemiah. His story plays out in there somewhere. If you're a knowledge person, you'll read it and you'll figure out how that connects. It'll be really good. Uh, study guys like that in their ministry. Also, guys like Timothy, First and Second Timothy. Those are two books written to him from the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Learn about these guys, their ministry, uh, and, and how they, they had this gift of, of knowledge so that you can help others know, love uh, uh, more about Jesus. So that's the first thing. The second thing, if this is you, don't be a know-it-all. That's another way I can help you. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't show up to your group and like, I know everything, especially if you're 20-something. Like, don't, because um, you don't know everything. And, and if you're 30-something, you don't know everything. And if you're 50-something, you don't know everything. Because you know how I know? Because if you look at yourself 10 years ago, would you say you know more than you do now? You're like, yeah, I, I know more now than I did then. So that means that right now you don't know as much as you're going to know in the next 10 years. So be humble. Don't be a know-it-all. So you should humbly come alongside one another and help others. You might be the type of person who have the gift of knowledge. You should write some research briefs for some people in their Bible study. Maybe you use that to help your community group know God's word better. Maybe you create a plan. Maybe you create a Maybe get with the wisdom guy. How do we create some curriculum? How do we come alongside? Uh, and we had men in the church do this. We used to be able to produce some content here at the church and, and, and give it out. Like, how do we come alongside the, the preaching ministry and support with some, with some research, some documents, some, some content to bless the, the greater congregation for the building up of, of the believers? Like, like, be a part of something. Use your gifts. Don't be a know-it-all. Number three is, this is my favorite, if you think you have the gift of knowledge and you can't teach kids, you got some time to go. You got that gift's got to get cultivated. So you need to work hard to make the big doctrines that you love so much simple to others, especially kids. Why do I say this? Because if you can't teach kids, you really don't know what you're talking about. It's true. Because even the big doctrines, you're like, what's propitiation? Like, I don't even know how to spell that. That's okay. Can you explain it? Not really. I can explain it with the systematic theological terms, but can you tell it to a kid? You're like, no, I can't. Then you need to, you need to spend time figuring out how to tell and explain that to a kid. You want to know if you, you know, have a grasp of the, the Trinity? Explain the Trinity to a kid. It's complicated. They ask crazy questions. And that'll help sharpen your gift. It will help sharpen you have the gift of knowledge. 
share it with the kids. If you're, if, you, if you're aspiring to be a teaching elder here or a teacher or an elder period or any such way at our church, we will want you to teach kids first, period. Now, other people can teach kids, and you may not be an elder, but like, here's the point. If you have knowledge, one of the ways you sharpen that, that gift is through learning to teach everyone and to explain things to everyone, especially kids. Connect the dots. Show your work. This is, this is what a teacher should do, one who has the gift of knowledge. Show others how the dots are connecting in your mind so that they can see Jesus as you see him and they can worship him like you. Gift of wisdom, gift of knowledge. Those are the first two gifts we look at. They come from the same spirit because we worship the same God, one God. And he wants to equip his church to be on mission for the glory of Christ and the good of this city. And so the way we're going to respond is this. First, if you're not a Christian, you got to join the team. you got to become one. Today's the day you become a Christian. Not tomorrow, not the next day, today. Today you become a Christian. And, and here's the, so we have wisdom and we have knowledge. We have knowledge and we have uh, wisdom. So we have information and we have application. Here's the information. Jesus is God. That's the, that's the information. Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior, meaning Jesus has died in your place for your sins. He's risen victoriously from the grave. Jesus is King, meaning he's ruling and reigning now, and he will return. If you, and, and that's the information. Here's the wisdom. Believe it. Trust in it. Say, I agree with it. Not in your heart. If you really believe in that, you hear that, and you're saying, no, I believe that. I believe that. I want my elite. So you respond by saying, I'm going to put, give Jesus my life. I'm going to give Jesus my sin. I'm going to give Jesus my hope. I'm going to give Jesus my future. I'm going to give Jesus my work, my life, my everything. It's his. I pledge my allegiance to him. I worship him. That's how you respond. You take the knowledge that Jesus has died in your place for your sins, and you use wisdom and say, I'm going to trust that. I'm going to obey that. I'm going to surrender to that. I'm going to put my hope in that. I'm going to believe in that. I'm going to receive that. I'm going to be saved by that. And in doing so, what, what you have just done, if you put your faith in Jesus in that way, you have received his righteousness, his salvation, and his spirit. You imparts gifts that you get to explore and you get to use for the benefit and blessing of others. And if you're a Christian, you respond today by diligently asking the Holy Spirit to search your heart to see, number one, have you despised the gifts he's given you? Number two, are you aware of the gift that he has? Have you despised the family of God and not participated in a, in a way that the gift could be used? Maybe also, if you're a Christian, you pray and ask God for the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge to bless your groups. Or if you have those gifts then pray and ask the Holy Spirit to ask you how to use them. Be willing to cultivate those gifts. You respond by, by submitting your gifts to the, 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 the church leadership, to others, and, and how can we use these things? Let's, let's work on it together for the glory of God and the good of the church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this time that we get to open your word, hear of who you are, Jesus, and how you are the only God that saves. There's only one God who saves, and that's you, Jesus. And so as we respond now and we look at, at the cross of Christ and we, we head to the communion table, may we, may we look at the information, the knowledge that Jesus, you are God, you are Savior, you are King. So may we repent of our sin and trust you with our life and submit to your, 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 your wisdom and your leadership. And may we walk now in your wisdom, in your word, your will, and your ways. Equip us, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Use us to help one another continue to walk in obedience according to your spirit. And I ask that you, Holy Spirit, would continue to cause the fruit of the spirit, but also the gifts of the spirit to abound in this congregation. You'd give us the wisdom to know how to organize them, to use them, so that we'd walk upright in your statutes and to carefully obey your rules to love you with our entire lives and hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.